I thought that was perfectly smooth. It was a good one, right? Podcast number 178 for May 26, 2016. I am your host for today, Ryan Price. And with us, as usual, I can't even say as always anymore because sometimes you're covered in lime in a ditch somewhere. It's Mr. Michael Anello. Hey, now, what's happening, Mr. Price? I'm trying to make it so it's not the as usual. So every now and then there's, you know, there's a podcast without me. As as Sometimes. Sometimes. You may We're recognize me from more. such podcasts as, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I like That's it. That's exactly what I'm going for. Uh, so you uh, all rested up after New Orleans? Um, pretty much. Pretty much. I got home, and then you know, a few days later, my kids were done with school for the summer. Oh. So that, no, that changes the family dynamics quite a bit when you have teenagers. But so. you didn't you didn't find any new scars or tattoos that you didn't know about? No, no I didn't. Not on me or the children. Well that's so. good. That's good. Yes. Everyone's still intact. For now. Yeah, when I was in college, for some reason all of a sudden people had all these new tattoos when we got back from New Orleans. I didn't know how that happened. <laughs> so uh so that was a thing. And then with us today, we actually have a guest uh, all the way from Southern California. It is Eric Peterson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And Eric, um, I was trying to look at the the sheet right here, and then it didn't say which part of Southern California. So where are you? And can you um, give us a little bit of your story about maybe how you got into Drupal, and then we'll get to your job, which is actually really fun. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we're actually, uh, I am actually in San Diego, um, which, uh, Anchorman, I believe made very famous. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love it here. I'm actually originally from upstate New York, uh, from Schuylerville, which is a, a fairly unknown or maybe, I guess it depends on how much of a history nerd you are, uh, suburb of Saratoga Springs. Um, it used to be called old Saratoga or just Saratoga, and it's one, it's actually kind of an interesting place. The one thing it's really known for is being a turning point in the Revolutionary War. 
um, actually. So some famous battlegrounds and stuff like that there. But um, in any event, uh, yeah, I'm in San Diego now and um, got into Drupal about eight years ago uh, for the website that I operate and maintain and am the architect of, which is rifttracks.com. And uh, yeah, looking at my, my Drupal.org uh, dashboard here, it says I've been a member for uh, eight years and 11 months. So almost nine years already. Kind of amazing. So, so this is, this is like your first and only Drupal job. You just went from like zero to working with the guys from mystery science theater 3000. And like, at what point was the website when you, when you got started? Cause your original story, you said, you told me this earlier, uh, you read about it on the forum. So it must've existed at least at some level, right? Yeah, that's totally correct. Um, so a little bit of background. Uh, I was a graphic designer working for a web firm in Saratoga Springs, actually in Glens Falls, uh, New York, and um, just sort of doing my own thing there. Um, we had, at that time, 500 or so clients, and it was kind of your typical design shop. You know, we would um, have uh, reselling accounts for hosting and we would take care of the SEO and all this other fun stuff for these um, bed and breakfast clients mainly out there in, in upstate um, where B&Bs are a huge thing. And uh, this is way before Airbnb and any of that stuff. So, I mean, they, they pretty much had the market cornered as far as, uh, you know, where a bed and breakfast would go to sort of advertise themselves on the web. Um, this was, you know, I was basically right out of college doing design work, essentially working in, you know, Dreamweaver and working with some ASP and stuff like that for uh, light server side work. Um, so I, I pretty much grew up watching Mystery Science Theater and, um, I was, you know, a longtime fan. And when I heard about Rift Tracks, Actually, it launched in July of 2006, July 20th. So our uh, our 10 year anniversary is coming up. Um, so I had heard about it. I think within a couple of weeks of it launching, um, just on a lark, I sort of did a, a search. I forget if it was Google or by then it may have still been Alta Vista for me. But um, you know, just to see what the uh, what the folks from MST were up to. And lo and behold, Rift Tracks was something that had just launched. Uh, had two tracks available to download and sync to a DVD that was Roadhouse and The Fifth Element. And uh, I got the one for Fifth Element, tried it out, loved it immediately because, you know, for those of us that are Misties, um, it was a real sad day when the show was canceled. And I mean, I, I remember waking up early on a Saturday morning in college just to, uh, to catch the replay at eight in the morning. Um, so, you know, having that void filled by commentary for a modern movie was new and exciting and brought back the nostalgia of Miss, uh, of Mystery Science Theater. And, um, it was, was just awesome. So a couple months or so or, or less maybe went by and, there was a post on their forum looking for basically a webmaster, you know, someone to do some, uh, some light coding and maintenance and, you know, help to improve the site so that it was, um, a modern dynamic site. 
and I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, uh, you know, I wasn't really super familiar with uh, backend or server side coding. I'd done a little bit of PHP work for um, some freelance clients on the side, just to kind of, you know, after working in a web design firm, you start to realize, oh, I can't, you know, not know at least a little bit of scripting, whether it's JavaScript or, you know, at the time, ActionScript um, was a big thing too. So I kind of just did these little PHP projects just to get my knowledge to a point that was hopefully going to make me more money, you know, of course, um, and just to make myself a little bit more valuable. So uh, I decided to send in my resume just on the off chance that maybe they'd be okay with someone who wasn't super proficient. But, um, you know, that's pretty much it. Uh, uh, they interviewed me over the phone, and uh, a couple weeks later I was driving with all my stuff and uh, a buddy of mine cross-country cross from New York to, uh, to San Diego, 36-hour trip. Um, but, you know, that's, that's pretty much the story of, of how I came out here. And then the site itself, as it existed, was just a, a static HTML site that was done in Adobe Go Live. Wow. You know, they had a, um, right? Yeah. So, and they had a, a, a PayPal shopping cart. Um, and every time a new product came out, they would have to, you know, they'd have the, the, the page laid out in go live and they'd have to export it and FTP it and then set up the product, uh, in PayPal and all this other stuff. So it was kind of clunky uh, to say the least and, uh, not extendable and not very, you know, friendly for someone like for a company like Rift Tracks that's going to be doing regular releases and, and have a community around it and all those other things. So, um, we began Pretty much right away, right after I got hired, you know, it was it was my job to kind of um, make things a little nicer, make things a little bit more dynamic. So I, I started to do just a little bit of light PHP framework uh, integration. I think there was a, a PHP framework called Zebra. I think I looked at Cake at one point and Fire PHP or something, and uh, to just at least get little things like we wanted to have ro ro um, rotating banners to display our latest releases, um, and you know. A, pretty format of some kind. And so little database things like that were kind of my first job. But then as the, you know, we saw the need for a much more complex site, we started to look at CMS options. And so of course, the main contenders at the time, Joomla, and uh, we looked at Zoops, X-O-O-P-S, <laughs> which I don't know if a lot of people even remember that because I, you know, I haven't seen it since, since then. Um, I built a site on Zoops. I'm, I think I've built multiple sites on Zoops. That was one of the first content management systems that I played with until I tried to extend it. Yes, exactly. Uh, and, and then I, I got a module and a patch file or a bunch of patch files. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I think you're the only one I've known who actually remembers Zoops, but yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, um, we looked at a bunch of other ones. We, we eventually went with a, um, the first transition we made from the static site was this commercial um, framework that was very inflexible. And if you wanted to make a, a change. You had to basically contract their developers to do it. And, uh, it was super not friendly. You know, we were not having a good time on that. So then once that, the, um, that site, uh, that system sort of wore out its welcome, we looked more, th more closely at the open source projects and, um, yeah, Drupal won out just because like you were saying with, with Zoops, the ability to extend it and, customize it for your own needs was really, really intriguing. And for us, it was kind of the only one that really did all the things we needed it to do. You know, we needed to be able to sell downloads to files for files. Sorry. 
We want to be able to sell downloads of files and stream video and have a forum and, you know, have user-generated content and all these other things that for a lot of these other um, systems were not really there yet or you had to, you know, pay for a module that was a monthly cost or some other things that were just not... Um, really a good fit for a company like ours, which was a really small company um, of, you know, just a handful of people. Um, and at the time we actually were backed by a larger company, but it was kind of separate, you know, divisions, so to speak. Um, and uh, so once we settled on Drupal, we, you know, I, I should say, re rebuilt the site and um, started up, adding our products to uh, what was then the only solution at the time, really, uh, Ubercart uh, on Drupal 5. Uh, it was actually Ubercart Alpha 7C. Uh, so it wasn't even stable production-ready code. It was an alpha stage Ubercart. Um, and we, you know, PayPal, I think, was the only option for a long time. And that, bu that module had a bunch of bugs. So luckily with my, even though, sort of limited PHP knowledge, I was able to go in and help and, uh, you know, issue bug reports and work on code myself because I'm a, I'm a fairly fast learner. Um, and so Ryan Zarama and I, uh, were, um, in contact a lot and, um, some other folks that were in charge of the Ubercart integration with, you know, file downloads, um, which I was a big contributor to and the PayPal module and some of these other things that really kind of launched Ubercart's uh, digital store abilities, um, which I'm pretty proud of. You know, I, I love having that. I actually found some of my old forum posts on ubercart.org, you know, offering people uh, advice and and uh, and bug reports and stuff like that. So, well, isn't it true um, that the the file download in Ubercart was one of like the core modules for a while? Yeah. So it, um, I I think it was not at least in D5. I remember. Um, because it, it didn't necessarily ship with it, I don't think. I can double check on that, but um, I might it was be one of the Drupal ones. Six. I mean, it all sort of yeah. blends together for me at some point. Right. Exactly. No, I think um, I think it was core in D D six. Uh, in D five, it was a it was still in contrib space, um, which I just checked, and it's it's not there now. So maybe I'm completely mistaken. But the way I remember it is. Um, you know, UC file was being worked on sort of, uh, in parallel, but it wasn't, since it wasn't really a core thing that didn't seem to have a lot of people needing it. Um, it wasn't developed as quickly as some of the core commerce stuff. So I came on board, um, with my riff tracks sort of, uh, angle and said, Hey, this is something that we need. So we're going to do whatever we can to test this out and, uh, and get things working as best we can. And so, you know, it was a, it was a fun fun experience despite having uh, slightly unstable code running on production, which I, I don't recommend, but uh, sometimes you got to, you know, sometimes you just have to uh, have to do it. Okay. I feel like we're, I feel like we were, we missed a couple of obvious questions. Sure. So I'm a, the reason I'm, well, not the reason I'm here, obviously I'm here because it's the Drupal Easy podcast, but I'm a huge fan of MST3K. So, but I'm not sure if we even like defined what that is. Yeah, I was going to say, like, let's does. say that there's someone who you know didn't have a cable in the United States in the 90s. <laughs> Maybe we need to right. give like the Wikipedia version of uh, the history of you know there was a couple of guys living in Minnesota, right? And they 
they had this sort of late night TV show where they would play public domain or old black and white science fiction films or just any film really, I think. But um, I I think of a lot of them as being like space movies or monster movies Mm -hmm. and they had puppets and they would sort of like move the puppets around in front of a screen to make it look like they were sitting in a movie theater and they would, you know, just make funny banter. And, and it's, I guess I just reduced it down to something that doesn't sound very interesting, but it's it's hilarious <laughs> and it's the kind of thing you stay up late with your friends to watch. And um, maybe there are other substances involved. I don't know. Um, but I think it was a very popular thing for people of all ages, right? As long as you were sort of like old enough to stay up that late, you were you were into the show probably if you got if you got the cable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the other question that for people who are familiar with MST3K, but not, or Mystery Science Theater 3000, um, but not familiar with riff tracks is, and this is the, you know, when Ryan said that, that, you know, he had taught you, Eric, and we're going to have you on the podcast. Um, I, I did not know about riff tracks at the time. And my first question was, who from the original, like, is it any of the original people? Is it, you know, Mike or Joel or, you know, Tom Servo or who, who's doing the, the riffs um, on riff tracks? Yeah. So um, you're, it's totally what it is. So Mike was the head writer from season two onward. Kevin was the producer from the very beginning. He had actually started the show with Jim Mallon and Joel Hodgson at KTMA in Minneapolis, St. Paul, which was at the time a, a UHF station. Uh, and then that show actually had got bought by um, Comedy Channel or then Comedy Central is what it turned into. Um, and while we don't have Joel, Joel actually did his own project called Cinematic Titanic, which was around for a few years. They did live shows and stuff like that, but they have since um, packed up and Joel's involved in the MSC3K reboot, which I don't know if you've heard about. Um, but uh, we are having you know a, a reunion show in June where we're all going to be together for the first time on stage. It's going to be nine of the old show's uh, cast members kind of reunited on stage for the first time in 20 years or so. So that's going to be really exciting. Um, but yeah, Riff Tracks is pretty similar to MSC3K. To get back to your other question about the uh, types of movies, most of them were space movies. You know, sci-fi is definitely a, uh, a huge part of our oeuvre. Mm-hmm. Um, am I allowed to say oeuvre on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it's um, a kid's show. You know, might yeah. be the first time that word has ever been used on our podcast. So Great. congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's, that's really where we kind of fit, you know, um, MSU3K was really a complicated thing because they were on TV and they had to license the rights to these movies. Um, and the great thing about Riff Tracks and sort of the, the thought that propelled it into existence was a lot of people had asked them back during their mystery science days, um, if they would ever do a modern blockbuster movie. And there were actually a couple of times on MST where they did, what they called it the uh, the Hollywood Blockbuster Review, I think. You know, if you uh, check it out on YouTube, you'll see they they did um, basically EPK uh, trailers and clips that were provided to them of Titanic and Starship Troopers and uh, uh, a couple other of the the modern movies like that. And so that's the really fun twist is that now you know um, fifteen twenty years later they're they're doing riff tracks, which allows them to 
allows us to really do any movie we want, since it's just an MP3 file, it's just the jokes, as we say. Uh, they can do any movie we want or any show we want. It's just an MP3 file that you put on a an iPod or a phone or other device and sync it up to your DVD or your stream, really, of the uh, of yeah. the movie in, in question. So that cool. sort of allowed them, freed them up to do all kinds of stuff they would never have been able to do on Mystery Science. So, so I, I just had a realization when you were talking about this. Has Rift Tracks now existed for longer than the original TV show? I believe that we are on the cusp of of being around longer. Um, I think MSC was on the air for about ten years or so, ten seasons, give or take. Um, a few, you know, the way the the years actually shake out, I'm not exactly sure because TV production schedules are weird. But um, I do know that we did per, uh, surpass the number of episodes. So MSC3K did 200 and change uh, episodes, and Rift Tracks has done um, over well over uh, that many feature-length titles. Um, so yeah, super, super cool. We, we're all really proud of that. You know, It's kind of amazing to us just because we are a really small company that sort of has this large cult following, and we look a lot bigger than we are. But you know, really, it's, it's a team of 13, 14 people. Um, I'm the, I used to be the only web developer there as I had talked a little bit about in my, my intro, but, um, we just hired another developer who's, uh, learning the ropes of Drupal and, um, his pendulum of whether or not he loves Drupal swings back and forth on a, on a daily basis <laughs> as he's, as he's sort of being brought up to speed. Um, so it's like, Hey, I, that sounds very familiar. You know, I understand completely what you're going through. So I think that gives him a little bit of reassurance that, you know, we've all, we've all been there. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's really exciting. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And I love the fact that open source plays such a huge role in, in what the site does and how it operates. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, I guess, I guess that's, you just, you just covered it all. You know, it's, it's, it's relatively a small company, but it has, I think, a big cultural impact, to be certain. Um, so I think that was one reason why it was. I thought it would be interesting to have you come on the show. But obviously, you have you have a very similar story to I think a lot of people. You know, like I was doing this thing on the web, and then it came to this project, and we looked around, we evaluated some stuff, and everything except for Drupal just didn't fit what we were looking for. So mm-hmm. I I think I think it's great to hear hear that kind of a story versus um, you know. I just started working at this job and they were already using Drupal and I absolutely hated it for like four years until this one day. You know, <laughs> then I, then I figured it out. Um, I, I guess it's because I'm, I'm the kind of person I came to Drupal on my own without, without having to be drug kicking and screaming. So, uh, right. I definitely sit on that side of the fence. Um, yeah. So, I know, and I think another thing that you said that you really liked about your job when you talked last time was that you have fun at work, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, that's that's definitely always a good thing. So uh, it it can happen. Web development yeah. plus fun. Who knew? Exactly. You just gotta you know find something that's that's such a great fit. I mean, like I said, growing up as a mystery science theater fan uh, for so many years. And, you know, it always feels weird to kind of say that about them. Cause it's like, it's like, I'm not saying you guys are old. You know, I just, I, I've, I've been a fan since I was a little kid, but okay. I guess I'm saying, Oh God, what's wrong with me? Um, but you know, it's, 
I, I waited at least a couple of months before I brought in my MSE 3K box sets for them to autograph. So <laughs> I was able to, uh, I was able to, to, um, have a little bit of restraint there, but, uh, you know, I eventually gave in. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, I love what I do. Uh, I love the fact that it has, like you said, some cultural impact. I mean, there are people that know riff tracks, but don't know MSE 3K and people who sort of find it in the reverse, which we think is, is really interesting. Um, yeah, that's that crazy. Happens. That's crazy yeah. town. I know, right? And and you know, because people see our our trailers uh, in theaters and uh, and stuff like that, um, and now with this app coming out, hopefully we'll we'll be able to kind of reintroduce people to sort of our back catalog. You know, we haven't done these MP3 products in a while because um, it's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy. You know, they they didn't really sell super well, but we also weren't doing them as often because uh, the the VOD products that we do are um, slightly higher price point, so they're kind of better for the uh, from a business side of things, um, and they're easier for us to do just because they are prepackaged um, video content. So it's easier, you know, we just set up a stream and some download links, and people can just get the entire thing all in one go, um, and so it's easier for them as well. But um, the MP3s were kind of, you know, since that was how we started, really, we have the dedicated fan base that just that's that's all they consume are these blockbuster commentary tracks for things like Star Wars and Twilight, which was a, a, a an unexpected sleeper hit for us. Um, you know things like that, and we're actually super excited about the app because the app is kind of our first uh, foray into integrating with a web services API um, to connect user libraries and uh, look at the current catalog of titles to, uh, for them to purchase and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's, it's fun. It's, um, unique what we do. I mean, super unique. Uh, I think that's part of why I, I got in so early with Ubercart and file downloads and now Drupal commerce, because we're such a unique niche, uh, content creator, you know, um, we don't really do what we do is not like what a lot of other places are doing right now. Uh, Amazon, I think, is probably the closest, you know, as a company that, that has both physical goods and they sell downloads as well as streaming. Um, not a lot of companies really, really do that. And so um, it's it's awesome and fun. And yes, I get to laugh every day at work when I'm watching our video content or reading our product descriptions. You know, everything on the site is kind of tailored to that tone and the fun of, of what it is we try to do. Awesome. So, so from a little more technical end, um, you, you just mentioned, you know, the mobile app you have coming out is going to integrate with your user account. Like, is everything kind of like buy, buy one product at a time? Or is there like an all you can eat plan? Or and, and how do you handle that sort of stuff? Yeah, so right now, it's, it's all, um, I guess, video on demand pay per view is kind of the closest uh, we can term I can I can think of um, but we you know once you have bought it you own it forever um, so as far as the all you can eat we, we don't yet have a subscription plan in place it's been something we've been wanting to do forever um, but being the solo web developer has proved its uh, challenges just with regard to being able to allocate enough time to focus on, on one particular thing and you know originally we tried to do it in d6 but the pieces weren't all there 
Now, however, in D7 with Commerce and uh, actually with um, Stripe, which I am a maintainer of uh, Commerce Stripe as well as the Stripe subscriptions module, um, that's what we're going to hopefully be launching. I think this summer we should be able to where um, we're going to have actually uh, a partner who's developing a content, sort of a curated content SVOD app for pretty much every device you can think of, Xbox and PlayStation and all this other stuff. So we're going to be, um, you know, hitting those those channels hard real soon. Um, so, I don't know. So, so is that the kind of thing where, like, if I, so in, in, instead of downloading the Rift Tracks app, I will download this other app, mm-hmm. and then that will, that will, like, integrate with more than one of my subscriptions that I happen to be a member of? Is that kind of what you're saying? Right, so we're, we're we're essentially yeah. I'm sorry for the confusion there. We actually are going to have um, this one app that's essentially dedicated to syncing up the MP3 commentaries, which is, you know, again, Rift Tracks is like bread and butter for a very long time. Um, and the this app, what it does is it actually listens to the audio from the movie, kind of like Shazam for songs. Yeah. And it automatically syncs up the MP3 with the movie you're watching. So where in the original case of Riff Tracks, where you'd have to have, you know, an iPod in one hand and a remote control in the other hand, and uh, there are instructions on the MP3 that basically say, okay, when the Lucasfilm logo fades to black, unpause this track. Now get ready to pause. One, two, three, pause. You basically hit the pause button, play your movie, wait for the cue, and then when that cue passes in this example the Lucasfilm logo uh, fading to black you would unpause and hit you know, basically hit play on your iPod again and so it it's not exactly an intuitive process to say the least um, you know we always told people that once you did it a couple of times it would be much easier to understand and to get it right the first time every time I myself am an expert at it but not everybody can be, and not everybody wants to have you know a bunch of things, a bunch of remotes they have to hit at the same time. So this um, app that we just launched, actually the, the Google Play version is now live and the iOS version hopefully will be ready any day now, um, does exactly what Shazam did for recognizing songs where it basically listens through your device's microphone, figures out um, where it's, it's at in the movie and syncs up our commentary for you automatically. So it takes all the guesswork out of the whole syncing process makes syncing a thing of the past, really. I mean, it's, it's really just like your phone, you know, hey, I want to make, I want to take uh, Battlefield Earth and make it a comedy, you know, and so here's this app, I'm going to download or purchase the track, and now I can download it to my phone, and I'll start watching it, and hit play, and you're off and running. It's, it's super simple, and we're really excited. Whereas, so the other side, then, is the video on demand stuff, which is kind of the, uh, the other end of the content spectrum of what we do. And that's what I was alluding to a little bit earlier, which was the, um, you know, the SVOD content, which will be subscription based, um, essentially to have access to those titles. You're a subscriber on the site and here are the curated titles that we have available for you on, you know, PlayStation or Roku or that kind of thing. So that's so our, are you, so are you saying that right now, if I wanted to watch this on mobile, it's kind of like through a browser or that kind of a thing. And in, in the right. future, you're going to have an app. Yes, exactly. Okay. So you can, um, we have an HTML5 player, and so the site serves you um, files to download if you want to watch it offline. Uh, we, we provide file formats that are good, you know, um, 
essentially optimized for smaller screens as well as HD, depending on the title. You know, we have like a 1080p high quality version that's a gigantic file size. But um, really, whatever your usage is, you know, we, we try to provide as many options. Um, and hopefully, in the near future, or should I say in the not too distant future, we'll have uh, an app that streams the video as well. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you know, I, I, I want to ask like 17 questions about the, uh, the content ID thing that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that just like a library that you, you know, do you pay for it? Is it, uh, do you, are you involved with developing the iPhone app itself or is that something you contracted somebody out to do? Uh, it's an interesting story. We actually were contacted a couple of years ago now by this company called MyLingo. Um, and they were founded by a couple of uh, siblings, a brother and sister, Adam and Alenka, who are Polish. Um, their their parents are, I think, full-blooded Polish, so they're first-generation Americans, basically, and their family loves going to the movies. And they developed this app called MyLingo to essentially allow um, a family such as theirs, where the kids speak English, but maybe the parents don't, or their, their English isn't. Uh, perfect, to be able to go into a theater and enjoy a movie together by using the app, plugging in a pair of earbuds, and selecting the language track for your movie in your language. So the idea and the end goal for them was to basically go to movie studios and whoever and say, you know, we would love to get a full soundtrack, you know, complete with sound effects and music, but in the dialogue is done in this alternate language, and we can provide that through the app and sort of allow this this um, barrier to be broken down between uh, different language speakers. So that was sort of their main product. They actually came to us as fans and said, hey, we're developing this thing and this app, and it's going to be really great, and we think it would be a perfect fit for your MP3 syncing product. And, um, you know, they, they came out with a demo, which... The concept was great, but it didn't work super well right off the bat. But in the last couple of years, they've been perfecting it and making tons of strides just in, in the app and how it works. And uh, here we are now a couple of years later, but it's finally ready and we're super excited about it. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, the end of the end of a long journey with a pretty, pretty great ending for your for your users. Absolutely. You know, and it, it's funny because we, in our, um, we have a landing page on our site, rifttracks.com slash app, I think. And it's basically says right in the intro, you know, it's 10 years in the making, basically, uh, the technology is finally caught up with us. You know, it's finally the technology is there to allow us to do what we want to do in a way that's user-friendly. And, uh, it's very fitting. I think that it, it marks the end of our first decade of existence, um, you know, kind of a nice little, uh, dovetail there. Awesome. Well, um, I think we're just about done with the interview portion of the show. Mike, do you want to, uh, do a quick ad and then maybe we'll get to your pick of the week before you have to jump off the phone? Yeah. So let me, um, you know, let me talk about some Drupal easy stuff and, um, don't forget we need to circle back at some point and talk about our sponsor, um, uh, my drop wizard. Absolutely. So let me talk about real quick some Drupal Easy news. Um, I'm going to be uh, doing a bit of traveling this summer and next month at Drupal North up in um, Montreal, Canada. I'm going to be teaching a full day intro to Drupal 8 module development course. Um, this is the same workshop that uh, Ted 
Ted Bowman and I just taught at DrupalCon New Orleans. We've gotten really good response from it. I'm actually, I'm really, really happy with the way the course came out. Um, it's full of hands-on examples. We have a really nice um, uh, handout, you know, PDF, call it like a little booklet for everyone, um, as well as a screencast covering all of the examples. So if you're interested in um, kind of making the transition from Drupal 7 to Drupal 8 module development, or you're, you've got some PHP skills and you want to learn Drupal 8 module development, you should definitely check this out um, if you're going to be up at Drupal North. Uh, and that's in mid-June. I believe the, the class is going to be on uh, Thursday, June 16th. If you can't make it, however, um, I'm going to be offering the same class online using our virtual classroom, a.k.a. GoToMeeting. That's going to be take place Monday and Tuesday, June 13th and 14th, um, 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern each day. So it's a one-day workshop split into two half days. And there'll be a link in the show notes. You can register for that um, on Eventbrite. And the following week after all of that, um, we're going to be de- debuting our new uh, Introduction to Drupal 8 theme development class. Um, that this, That's going to be an online version uh, of that class. Um, and that's a, a bit beefier of a, of a class, to be honest with you. Um, so we're actually going to be doing it over three afternoons or late afternoons, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, June 20th, 21st, and 22nd, from 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern each day. Um, That class is going to cover the basics of uh, Drupal 8 theme development. We're going to be creating sub-themes from Classy, as well as a couple of sub-themes off of Bootstrap, um, even getting into CSS preprocessors and um, dependency managers and all that really cool stuff. Uh, We're going to be... um, overriding a bunch of template files and, and using all of the great twig debugging tools that come with Drupal 8. So if you uh, are comfortable with Drupal 7 theming and you want to kind of get your Drupal 8 theming chops kickstarted, this is exactly the type of, uh, of uh, student that we're looking for. So you can check those out. We'll have the links in the show notes. And one thing yes. that I wanted to pick your brain about, I think it's going to be the, sure. um, the GitHub subject. So maybe we could jump yes. to that really quick. We got a couple minutes left sure. uh, with you before you have to jump on to another another call. But yes. um, Josh from the Drupal Association put up a really, really long blog post originally on his own blog, and then he copied it over to Drupal.org because I guess people were asking for it to be a little bit more visible. And <laughs> it's sort of like, here are 17 reasons why we're probably not going to GitHub, although we have done a lot of research, right? Right, exactly. It's one of those things where everybody always, you know, I don't want to say, every, I don't want to make generalizations, but there have been many complaints in the past few years about the state of um, not only the issue queues on Drupal.org, but just the whole contribution process. Um, you know, how we have to, there's a patch workflow and people have to know how to create patches and test patches and then upload patches and just that whole workflow it's you know it's been around for a while and it's not the most modern workflow in the open source community so there's a lot of folks who have this knee jerk reaction and under completely understandably so that why don't we just move drupal development to github and then we can use all of github's amazing tools cuz you know, github has great tools you know for those of you who are maybe just casual users of github um you can actually edit 
files directly through the web interface and make commits directly through the web interface on GitHub. It's amazing. And, and just from a standpoint of getting new contributors ramped up quickly to make contributions, um, moving or, or having a GitHub-like environment would be huge for us because it takes away all the pain of setting up a local development environment and cloning Drupal core and getting it up and running and downloading a patch and learning the, you know, the, the patch commands and all that stuff. Um, and obviously, none of this is is lost on, on on Josh or the Drupal Association. So, I think what he wrote here is is just a really nice overview of why you know, just saying okay, well let's let's move to GitHub is is such a involved process because yeah. there's so many different tools that interact with the Drupal project that if we kind of just take the, the, the patch workflow from Drupal.org and move it to GitHub, it kind of has a domino effect on all of these other things that the community is doing. Well, and I mean, the, another thing that happens to me is I'll be using GitHub and then they'll move a button and I'll spend like the next week trying to get used to that button being in that position. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a private company. It's, it's not, it doesn't really exist for the community. So I have I have some personal reasons why I don't think that we should necessarily just just move to GitHub, quote unquote. Not to mention all of the very good and well thought out and well argued technical reasons that are in um, Josh's post. You know the cost and the time commitment and the disruption to the release of the next version of Drupal. Right? You know, right now there's people working on Drupal 8.2 and new features and if they have to change their whole workflow, that's going to slow everything down significantly, which is one reason why he didn't even write this blog post before Drupal 8 got released because there was no way that it was going to happen during the Drupal 8 release cycle. It was just going to be one extra thing to slow everything else down, and we really needed to get Drupal 8 finished before he could even spend the time to make this argument. So I think the most telling, um, maybe not telling is not the right word, but the the clearest way that Josh said it in the blog post, as far as what would the level of effort be required to do this. Um, he said it was comparable to the community's move from SVN to Git. Which was huge. So, Which was huge. So to put it in that type of perspective, um, from the person who would know, you know, I would, I would argue better than anyone. He's, you know, kind of the person in charge of Drupal.org infrastructure. So, if he's saying the level of effort required to, you know, move to GitHub is comparable to moving to Git, that should get a lot of people's attention and, and, and hopefully, um, you know, just communicate the fact that this is not this is not something that is being lost on the Drupal Association, but it's a, you know, from a technical standpoint, it's it's not a piece of cake. Right. Um, well, Mike, if you do have to go, uh, we will I do. we will let you drop. But thanks for being on the show today. Eric, it was great. I, I just I didn't talk that much because I could just listen to people talk about MST3K all day. <laughs> I totally so. understand. Thanks for having and me. I, and I did discover I'm I'm actually it's already in my shopping cart. The um I, I didn't realize there was a riff tracks for the the new Star Wars movie. Ooh, yep, so. it's uh, that one's coming to the app very soon. That might be my evening tonight because my daughter is a huge Star Wars fan, so I might surprise her with that and uh, see if I can't get. Uh, at least the the next generation of my family uh, involved in in, in watching uh, you know MST3K and listening to riff tracks. So thank yeah, you very much. You're welcome. And someone who doesn't like Star Wars can you know listen to it with the riff and enjoy it in a different sort of way. <laughs> exactly. 
All right, you guys have a good podcast. All right, thanks. So, uh, Eric, I didn't get a lot of chance to ask you about this uh, this story, but did you catch up with this um, the GitHub discussion at all? I mean, uh, I definitely did. something that Dries mentioned during his keynote in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I'm sort of new to the conversation, but I mean, you know, I can see uh, I can see a lot of pros and cons. I think either way for moving all development uh, over to Git, that right, that's what they're proposing. So yeah, um, you know, right now, to the, some of the backstory we had to kind of skip over because Mike was was leaving. Mm-hmm. I want to get his take on it. Was that um, ever since ever since GitHub kind of was released, even there have always been a couple of projects that people develop over on their GitHub account, and then sometimes they'll you know sync them up to Drupal.org, or right. sometimes they will actually have like a automatic sync. There's a couple of projects I know of that have an automatic sync to Um, Mm drupal.org. But then you have this question of like, well, do I leave the comments in the issue queue on drupal.org or do I leave them on GitHub? You know, if I leave them in one place, will anyone ever read them or reply? You know, if I put a patch here, what do I do? So so there is, is, the current state of things is very confusing. And there are some projects I think that only exist on GitHub. Like I would want to say the Drupal console is one I can think of off the top of my head. I think it only exists on GitHub and it has its own, you know, .com domain name. You can go and download stuff and play with it. But it's also, right, it isn't, it's not really like a module. Drush is another one that started out on Drupal.org and now is definitely only on GitHub. So um, there's some stuff like that. Yeah, totally. And I I think, you know, there are some, there are plenty of things that, you know, you'll never be able to necessarily host on, on Drupal.org just because of their functionality like Drush or, you know, some of the other things surrounding Composer and all of the other tools that I think are essential to creating um, modern development environments is really, um, you know, I I think you need to keep pace with that. And so if, if, if Drupal.org is maybe lacking in terms of some of the functionality or some of the things that it can be of, of relevancy to, then I'm for switching to Drupal, uh, switching everything over to Git. But at the same time, yeah, you know, like you said, it's like, where do the comments go and where do the, you know, some of the discussions that are on D.O. are really great to have. And I think a lot of the improvements that have been made in the way the issue queues work have been hugely helpful. So, you know, who knows, maybe they'll be able to bring some of that functionality over and, uh, and make it sort of a better place to to do some of that other stuff and have host some of those other projects as well. Yeah, um, you know, one project I know this, this has happened recently was um, Backdrop. You know, they don't have their own um, project tracker on their own website, so they have been using GitHub. But I I believe in order to get sort of like an official Backdrop project, you have to get your account added as you know, belonging to the backdrop company. I don't know if there's a, or maybe they call it organization. I was like, what's the word for that GitHub uses to be, I belong to this organization in order to be considered like an official module. They have to add your account. And then Hmm. when you check something in, I believe uh, I I could be wrong. So excuse me if if this isn't correct out there in podcast land, you go to, you know, github.com slash backdrop or backdrop CMS, whatever it happens to be, slash the name of the project. Um, so if you start something on your own personal account, you would have to, 
you know, clone it over to the organization in order to be considered part of the project. Otherwise, you're just a guy, you know, making a code or a girl. Um, so I think there are some sort of like hurdles to jump over there as well of like, how do I discover projects? And one thing we have really good on Drupal.org right now is someone can put a tag on an issue in Drupal core and I can use the same tag on my module. Let's say that it's, you know, like usability challenge 2016 or whatever it happens to be. And, um, the, the final one that I want to bring up, I mean, you could read the whole blog post. It's all in there, uh, is, uh, the, the update status. When you, when you actually hit the button on your, on your site or on drush that says, are all of these modules up to date? That's going to a special server, you know, owned by the Drupal Association. That's basically a CDN, and he said, I think it's something like ten terabytes a month of, of bandwidth, just on the update status XML files, not, not downloading, you know, wow. all the module files, not the FTP server itself. So um, that's a lot of data. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, I'll say. All right. <laughs> So uh, we do have a couple more stories, and uh, they're they're spaced, I think, about a week apart as far as when they were written. But I would imagine that uh, the one story was probably in progress when the first one was published. So during DrupalCon, I want to say this happened, um, there was this post from Holly Ross. I guess it was the day after DrupalCon ended, uh, who is the now, I guess we could call her the the director emeritus, I don't know, of the Drupal Association. Um, And she announced that she will be ending her post on June 3rd. Um, You know, I guess she got us up to the Drupal 8, you know, finish line and got, got through one more North American DrupalCon and then is getting ready to hand over the reins uh, to someone else. And, and the end of the post, it says the association board and Megan will be working hard for this transition. So I don't know if she actually mentioned that Megan was taking over. It was a pretty short, Oh, I see. Megan is going to take on the blog post. So that shows you how well I read this article. Uh, she did say <laughs> Megan is doing it. So then, so then about a week later, Megan Sanicki, who is now the new director of the Drupal association wrote, like, I would say like a four or five page, blog post that you can go and read. And she talks about some of her goals for the association going forward. So, uh, yeah, Eric, do you, you follow this news a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you, have you been part of the Drupal association or is, is Rift tracks involved in any way? You know, we are not involved. Um, I would love to be, uh, I, I think about it every time I go to a, uh, uh, DrupalCon and, you know, the association uh, booth is right there and that kind of thing. Um, you know, especially being a smaller company, I feel like it would, it would be worthwhile. Uh, I know they do, um, a lot of cool stuff. So it's something I'm certainly looking into. Cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, have, I, I guess another thing the Drupal association has fostered in is like the credit system on Drupal.org. So, you know, lately mm-hmm. now that you can put on your module, right? Uh, what was it called? Commerce Stripe. You know, this module is sponsored by Rift Tracks, right? So you can put stuff like that up there now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, so, yeah. Uh, a lot of times we will do some Drupal Association news on here, but 
um, a bunch of our regular commentators left. So I think I'm going to leave it at the point of go read the blog post by Megan if you want to find out what's going on at the Drupal Association going forward. Um, and that will pretty much do it for our news for today. Um, you did have you did have in your uh, little extra articles here on the rundown. Um, you me- you mentioned that you would want to talk about your Kickstarter backer rewards. What what what's going on with that? Like, was there some technical sort of <clears throat> tricks that you guys were working on for for Rift tracks? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, looking at it from you know a Drupal centric point of view, uh, what I think is really interesting about not only the core stuff that we're using, for instance, um, you know, selling files. Uh, and setting up streaming content and stuff like that. But we've done a lot of unusual things with Drupal to serve our backer rewards for Kickstarter, where, for instance, um, we have, in our our most recent Kickstarter, um, we actually gave away 11 short films, uh, Rift shorts, for people who um, basically when we reached a new level of backers, I think every hundred backers or so just to try and get more and more people backing us, you know, we weren't necessarily concerned with a dollar amount um, because we'd already met our goal and stuff like that. So we just wanted to get more people involved. And so our reward was for these um, bonus shorts. And um, it became clear to us that a lot of, when people saw the list of shorts we'd be giving away, we have, you know, like I said, a lot of dedicated fans and a lot of people were like, we already have, you know, most of these shorts. What's going to happen there? So um, we made a uh, um, an agreement to basically say, okay, for every short that you own, we'll keep track of what the dollar value is and we'll uh, issue a gift card for that. So, wow. um, you know, so there are two things going on there where it's hooking into the uh, commerce license API to unlock licenses for these products without having a user um, purchase it. And then it also knows, you know, it's smart enough to say, okay, this license for this product already exists. So we're just going to run a, a running tally, a running total rather of the uh, dollar amount that you are owed in credit. And so the first time you hit that page, it, it does both of those things and issues you a, a gift card credit for that. Um, we did something similar for Humble Bundle, who sent a ton of traffic our way. I mean, that was that was kind of surreal to uh, be able to work with the Humble folks. Um, I think that that is like a title that was actually for really people, right? <laughs> Humble yeah. Bundle. I think they, yeah. they command a lot, it of, was, a lot um, of eyeballs. What? Are... Yeah, they really do. Is is one of those things where it actually took us a while to. Um, to get something done with them. But, you know, once it happened, it was, it was great to see the, uh, the people that were really enthusiastic about it. And what we did there, once I realized that, you know, giving people a coupon code and sending them through the checkout process is just, it's, it's unacceptable for the way Humble Bundle works. You know, they just want to be able to give you a code for your product. You go to the site, you redeem it and you're done. So for that, we actually, um, wrote a, we we provided a landing page for people to hit and I wrote a form API integration, which basically says, you know, what's your code, enter it and we'll give you this, this licensed product for free, similar to what, um, how it works for Kickstarter. Uh, and then there's, I, I 
did some really rudimentary views integration where it shows which products you redeemed for because the way Humble Bundle works is you could get one or two or three or you could get all nine. I think we uh, we gave away or seven. I forget how many titles exactly. But, um, but, you know, so the view would just be updated whenever they would submit a new code, and that way a user could go back to that page and it would show which freebies they had redeemed um, and that kind of thing. And, and that was a nice way of kind of circumventing the entire, uh, not just cart and checkout, but also sort of the field API, because originally I was thinking of doing some kind of integration with Commerce Coupon and Gift Card and basically making a gift code that you wouldn't have to use at checkout. You could just redeem it similar to a coupon, but it would bypass all of the commerce checkout flow. Um, but once that proved to be a lot more challenging than I expected, and also I realized just the overhead would be very poor um, for performance, uh, I just decided to sort of make my own real quick thing, which I would actually love to, to contribute back. But it ended up working great. I generated 75000 Gift codes, just to be safe, that was that was what Humble wanted. They actually wanted 75000 per title, even though we didn't know how many we would get, which was far less than that. Um, but they wanted, they said, okay, you know, give us 75 k for each of these uh, codes for each of these um, eight products. So it's, yeah, I think it was like 600,000 codes I ended up having to generate. So I actually created a little form for that, too, that would do the process for me um, automatically because, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm a programmer. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm lazy. Come on. I want I need to automate as much as possible. So, yeah, I was I was wondering when you were discussing it because I've used I've used Humble before for like buying video games and other kinds of stuff. Like, yeah. How did they know? How did they coordinate with you what the codes were? But you're saying you you generated the codes and you sent them a spreadsheet or whatever it happened to be. So, yeah, that's cool. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. They they can take whatever codes we, you know, the the um, creator gives them, and they just sort of give us the uh, their requirements, and we we give them a combined CSV file uh, of all of those codes. Cool, very cool. Well, uh, yeah, I think I think that that would probably would be a good thing if there was somebody out there. Um, you know, I don't know if they're, they sell comics or videos or games or whatever it happens to be, but, um, even just if you go to an event, right, you could print off a whole bunch of, uh, postcards with a special code on it. And you go to our website, you type in this code and then you get whatever thing, you know, um, I think at a lot of Drupal events, I just got back from DrupalCon. So I was thinking, um, you know, you want a, a copy of the slides from this, from this slideshow, you know, and then you can kind of track how many uh, how many postcards actually got used versus how many you gave out. So I, I can see there being a lot of uses for something like that. You should absolutely contribute it back. Yeah, I you know I, the more I think about it, the more I, I probably should because it was a really simple kind of solution and elegant enough for for people that would want to use something similar to that. Um, yeah, and that's actually speaking of Kickstarter too. I keep going back and forth between whether I should uh, create a module that allows Kickstarter um, creators, you know, if you've, if you've created a Kickstarter campaign, you've also seen systems like BackerKit and yeah. uh, um, I forget what the other one is, uh, to basically manage your backers and their rewards and that kind of thing. So I actually wrote a little bit of integration on our end where you essentially download your CSV files rather than sending out a reward survey through Kickstarter, you can uh, you download the CSV files. I wrote a form uh, API integration uh, 
little form that basically imports all those CSV files into rows in the database. And in its current iteration, um, backers who have chosen physical rewards have the ability to update their shipping address up until the, um, the uh, form gets locked. So I'm thinking that maybe, you know, since this doesn't exist, there's no Drupal integration with Kickstarter. I mean, Kickstarter doesn't have an API. Unfortunately, you kind of have to do everything with their CSV files, which depending on the reward level might have a different form for the reward survey. Uh, and that may also require you to um, uh, have different levels kind of, you know, delineated and stuff like that. But I can imagine that being a module. I even have a name for it already. Uh, Dropkick, <laughs> I think would be kind of just an awesome module to have on your site. Yeah, enable Dropkick. Um, and uh, so I, I think that's another thing I'm, I'm hoping to contribute later on. All right, so uh, give out your give out your Twitter handle now, so people can bother you when you haven't posted it yet. At <laughs> uh, Torgo's Pizza, that's my uh, handle on Drupal.org as well, and pretty much everywhere else on the web. Um, yeah, don't don't bother me too much because I'm still sort of perfecting it for our own uses. So uh, once I've once I've gotten something out there that I think is usable and, and uh, helpful for others, I'll be sure to post it. Well, that's what the sandbox is for. So um, uh, I am going to do a quick ad right now for our sponsor, MyDropWizard.com, and then we will get to picks of the week and the five questions. So um, we hopefully have impressed upon you all, dear listeners, about MyDropWizard at this point. Uh, They are actually one of the vendors who is providing official sanctioned by the Drupal security team, Drupal 6 long-term support. Um, Actually, at their website, they have some really great blog posts about how to get better update statuses. If you still have a Drupal 6 site out there, you may have noticed that your Drupal core and all of your modules have now come back as not supported. Um, If you follow the blog post on MyDropWizard, you can get uh, better update statuses. So MyDropWizard offers Drupal support and maintenance contracts, and they can offer them as a service or as a white label, so through your company. And essentially what they do is they make sure that uh, the sites stay up to date, they do security patches, and uh, they can they can do other sorts of uh, Drupal support tasks so that you can just get focused on building out the new features of your sites for your existing clients rather than supporting sites for your past clients. And um, if you have, you know, not just for Drupal 6 support, but also Drupal 7 and 8 support, and they actually charge less for the Drupal 7 and 8 support than they do for 6. Um, And you may have also heard on our most recent episode that just came out a couple of days ago at DrupalCon, we actually had David Snowpeck live on the show talking about um, what they are doing. And then back on episode 170, we, we did a full interview with David right before he became a sponsor of the show. I think, I think that actually had something to do with him becoming a sponsor was coming on the show. Uh, and then, um, yeah, do check out mydropwizard.com. They're supporting now hundreds and hundreds of sites uh, on Drupal 6. And so Drupal 6 is not really and truly dead you just have to move a little bit off of Drupal.org, so check them out. Thanks for sponsoring the show. 
All right. So this is the section of the show we like to call Picks of the Week. And as there's only two of us left, Eric, I will tell you, please uh, tell us about your pick this week. (laughs) So one thing I just discovered the other day, uh, which we're looking to hopefully integrate into our site, is this really cool uh, cloud-based push notifications service called PushCrew, pushcrew.com. And what I like about it so far is that you don't really need to write any code. You can, um, it's basically a JavaScript snippet you add onto your site in the header and uh, the head tag, I should say. And uh, you send messages, push notifications to your subscribers through the push crew interface. So I think it's a really cool way to, um, to start sending push notifications, which I think are probably more engaging for some people who maybe don't want to get email blasts, you know, all the time. Um, And so it's something that we're currently actually looking at integrating into our site. They do have an API as well. So for instance, uh, I would love to have a rules integration where when we create a new announcement or publish a new announcement content type uh, node, then uh, a push notification is also sent out to our users. Um, I think something like that would be really cool. And I, I think push crew is really interesting looking as a means of people to start sending really so what, uh, interactive and engaging push notifications. This is, this is not like a plugin or something. Is it just when they happen to visit, is it, is it more like, is it more like a fax machine model? Like if they visit another website that has push crew, they can, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how they would actually get the notifications. Oh yeah. So what's interesting is that um, they seem to. Uh, you basically have to approve the site giving you access to. You know, your, your browser has to have access to their system. So when you visit a site, they can pop up a little dialog like growl notification that says, "Hey, you know, click OK to receive push notifications from from this site." Uh, Twitter does something similar on the the Twitter web site where it can actually do a push notification to your browser. Um, right, just natively, you know, in Chrome or in Safari. I think it also works for mobile browsers. Hmm. So it's it's not even really a plugin. It's just a a bit of JavaScript that you include, um, which obviously they're they're hosting their you know main JavaScript file itself. But once you've included that code um, and you've signed up for your Push Crew account, uh, it'll pop up a dialog window asking your your uh, visitor for permission, and if they approve it. They're added to a list of subscribers on Push Crew, and then that's those are the people that would then receive those those notifications. Okay, so so now that we have established that, can can they be personalized in any way? Like, can I say I just mm-hmm. want to send it to people on the West Coast because you know we have a live event starting over there for some reason? Yeah, uh, from what I can tell, you know, I haven't gotten too far into it, but they do allow you to create segments for your subscribers. And I imagine that, you know, um, since there's an API, hopefully that means you can kind of use conditions to uh, determine which segment your users get put into. But from the looks of it, it looks fairly flexible. Um, I can't, I can't a, wait until uh, MailChimp builds one. <laughs> Oh, for real? Yeah, exactly. Like that's that's what I mean. You know, if they had that already built in, I wouldn't have to go to this other <laughs> this other place. But yeah. so far, they seem to be one of the uh, one of the few out there that, that has awesome. it together. Yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, there's there's a uh, module number three that you're going to have to contribute back. <sighs> I know. I'm like making work for myself here. The more I talk. 
Well, very cool. Um, I actually have, uh, it's more of like a tech tip. Um, I am a, a user of the Apple laptops right now. I have a MacBook Air. And I noticed something really weird that uh, every couple of hours, it seemed like a few more gigabytes of disk space were just gone from my computer. And I was trying really hard to figure it out. And I got a program. If you've never heard of this, if you're an Apple user, it's called Disk Inventory X. It's been around for decades. Um, so I'll, I'll put a link to that. That's not actually my tip. But I took a look at it, and there was all these purple files all over my my little disk inventory graph. And I was like, what are all of these things? They were called cache grind. And I'm trying to find out what's a cache grind. <laughs> and it was a very obscure thing. It only shows up if you have installed Xdebug using a couple of certain methods. I've actually um, been using this package manager now for years that is um, Darwin package manager. What the heck is the thing called? Uh, port. Mac ports. Mac ports. There we go. Um, so if you had installed Xdebug using Mac ports, then you will see all these cache grind files because Xdebug puts its these these sort of like stack trace files in a directory on the Mac that doesn't get cleared out very often. So I went from having like almost no free disk space to like 60 gigabytes in a few few seconds by just emptying out this directory. And then obviously I changed the directory that it's pointing to. So now they don't go there anymore. They go into the regular temp directory. And every time I reboot the computer and every time the, the computer just cleans up its garbage, it will start flushing out these, these files instead. But I've got a blog post where um, someone talks about that, uh, John Rerick on his site. And uh, I, I will put a I put a link to Disk Inventory X as well. If you're a Mac user, you you should really know about it. It's a it's a pretty great little tool. Um, so yeah, watch out watch out for Xdebug if you have that installed on your machine. Um, I think Mike already did mention a couple of uh, Drupal events coming up. Drupal North June 16th through 19th in Montreal. Um, another one that I'm going to be attending hopefully uh, hopefully my talk gets accepted is Drupal GovCon. So that is going to be July 20th through 22nd. It's in the middle of the week because it's Washington, D.C., and it's government workers, and they don't really go to conferences on the weekend. Uh, so that, that could be a good thing. And then right after that, the same, same weekend, is Design for Drupal up in Boston. And uh, do check out uh, D4D up there. Um, it's always a good time, and the Boston Drupal community is really fantastic. Uh, so, so that's going to be going on, um, quick plugs for us. We have now started putting stories that we're talking about onto Reddit. So you go to our subreddit, uh, reddit.com slash r slash Drupal easy podcast. And, uh, you can follow us on social media at Drupal easy on Twitter and a lot of the other social networks. Um, Mike who was on the show earlier goes by Ultimike. I go by liberator, take out the last vowel and then uh, our guest for today, Eric Peterson, is uh, your Torgo's Pizza. And you say that's pretty much everywhere on the web. So so definitely look up Eric if you want to bother him about his modules that he hasn't contributed back <laughs> yet. Um, Shame. Shaming. <laughs> so so the last, last part of our show is what we call five questions. 
It's not exactly like they used to do on The Daily Show, but I'm having some Comedy Central flashbacks today, so... <laughs> Can't imagine why. <laughs> um, so, Eric, what is one thing that you do when you're not droopling? So one of my favorite things, uh, especially as of late, has been photography. You know, I have a... Believe it or not, I have a BFA in graphic design, and so art has kind of always been something that I've taken with me. Uh, and I just a year or so ago, two years ago, got a, a nice fast lens for my Canon body and, uh, I'm able to shoot nice wide landscapes at low light. And so it's perfect for shooting astrophotography, which I'm, I'm, you know, it's one of those things where when you go out into the desert or, you know, out to Big Sur, like I did a couple of years ago, uh, and just staring up at the sky and are, you're able to take photos that, uh, that are full of stars and, and, you know, you can see little details like that. Um, it's one of those things that's really kind of life changing. So for me, that's, that's one of my favorite things. And I'm trying to get enough gear to really make some cool stuff happen. Not there yet. You know, I've got this fast lens and, uh, it can, can do some really cool stuff. So I'm actually planning on going out to, uh, uh, some of the American Southwest desert here within the next month or two, try and take some, uh, some cool, pictures down in the uh the rock formations all over the place and add to my astrophotography portfolio it's not something i get to do nearly as often as i'd like uh living out in san diego it's kind of light pollution out here so uh it's not super easy to take photographs uh, of the night sky here so when when you do that i mean do you do like the the wide open shutter streaky kind of thing or are you just kind of taking pictures of the stars in situation there or what? Yeah. So it's, um, you know, a little bit of both. I really am a fan of the, uh, the crisper streak free versions. And so I'm learning about that. Uh, there's a software called nebulosity that's used to stack photos of nebulae, which you need to generally have a, a telescope for as well. So, um, sort of those are the tools that I'm, I'm trying to get a good grasp of and, uh, make that kind of a hobby of mine since I like to travel as well. Uh, and I love space and sci-fi and I'm a giant nerd. So <laughs> it's one of those, it's one of those things that, uh, combines a lot of stuff that I, I like and enjoy doing. Actually, you, you'll have to drop, drop a link in the, in the show notes here and we can, we can then put up a link if somebody wants to go check out your work. Sure. Yeah. I think I've got a, uh, a flick, um, Flickr account, which has some of my, some of my work on there. Uh, I got actually have a really cool photo of a, a raven that was kind of perched on a on a branch when I was at the Grand Canyon a year or so ago. Um, really kind of a, a lucky shot. Um, it's just kind of perched there, staring at me, check, checking me out, and the Grand Canyon's in the background, and it's really cool. I'm pretty pretty proud of that one. It's not <laughs> astrophotography, but you know, I I like to uh, not not keep myself pigeonholed into one style. Cool. So, uh, what was one piece of software you installed recently? And, you know, this could be on your phone. It could be on your TV, you know, on your watch, whatever it happens <laughs> to be these days. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, it's probably a lame answer, but, um, the latest PHP storm, um, I, I am in the, uh, early access program for that. And, and PHP storm 10 is really nice. Actually, uh, I'm kind of enjoying little little things like a, a find preview when you do a search across all files. There's a nice little preview now that pops up. So if you're looking for 
you know, at a glance where a, a function is being called, it's super helpful. Um, and I actually just downloaded that uh, disk inventory X that you had mentioned earlier, so I'm going to put that to good use here shortly. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it, it does funny things on, on Apple because they will store certain things in what is essentially a zip directory, like uh, the iMovie library is just like one giant blob on, on your computer. You can't tell what anything is. Um, so very cool. So uh, tell us, have you been in any uh, exotic animal encounters recently? Not recently. You know, we have uh, the San Diego Zoo down here, which is world-renowned, and we actually have a, a second um, part to that zoo called the, well, it used to be called the Wild Animal Safari Park. Uh, I forget what it's called now exactly. They they kind of rebranded um, in the last few years. But I think the last animal I, I exotic animal I encountered was um, you can pet and feed giraffes, uh, which, you know, they're, they're just awesome, um, gentle and, you know, uh, calm, very, very calm when they're sort of in this, uh, this environment of, oh, hey, this, this human has, uh, treats for me. You know, they're very well behaved when, when that's, uh, when that's taking place, but it was very cool. So if you, if you were not doing Drupal, you know, if Drupal just stopped existing, where would you be going and what would you be doing? Hmm. You know, that's a great question. I mean, uh, I'd probably still be doing something with computers uh, since they're big nowadays. Um, but you know, I've, I've always kind of been a computer type person um, from when I started learning to, to code, write code in Basic and Quick Basic and stuff like that. So I feel like I'd probably still be working in in some regard as far as development goes. You know, I I actually when I was in living in New York. Um, I was a, an adjunct professor of web design uh, for about half a semester, um, which was really interesting because I had no teaching credentials whatsoever. You know, I, I had never taught really anyone in a uh, an actual teaching situation, other than you know giving people some tips and advice and just being my my myself, where I try to give knowledge when someone needs it. So it was a real interesting experience, but that would have been. For me, uh, that experience was awesome. You know, I, I loved it. It was a, a college level course um, at this local community college, but uh, I, I would actually consider teaching. You know, as well. It's probably unusual because I know teachers don't necessarily make a lot of money. But man, I gotta say, you know, making it, making something that's maybe difficult to understand uh, palatable for someone new to it, especially a, a young student. Um, that feeling is really pretty awesome and uh, something I could get used to, I think. Yeah, I'm a big fan of teaching, but uh, I think you pointed out one of my big, big minuses against teaching as well. Mm -hmm. is yeah, There seems to be some inequity between being a professional and teaching those same professionals. It's true. Yeah, it, or at the very least just teaching, you know, they, um, it's kind of a lower income field nowadays and and maybe uh, a bit of um, nearsightedness when it comes to uh, how highly we regard some teachers. But yeah, I, I totally understand. Um, I think my, my main um, positive when I was chosen for this adjunct job was the fact that I actually had been working in the field. Um, you know, this was while I was at my, my web designer, web quote unquote developer job, uh, 
in New York. And so I had that experience of, of real world situations that I could kind of impart upon my, my students. But, you know, that's kind of the flip side too, is there were people there who felt that they knew better and people that maybe didn't show up during the class until the last couple of days when it was time to take a test and Mm. they didn't do too well. So yeah, that that definitely can happen. Um, and last but not least, who is someone in the Drupal community that we should keep an eye on? So, um, yeah, I, this was a hard one to answer. I, um, I felt that Matt Glamon, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. One of the, uh, the commerce guys, uh, he, he's, just shockingly brilliant. Um, you know, we talked about a bunch of stuff while, while I was down at DrupalCon, New Orleans and, uh, you know, super nice guy, um, very tall, but then again, I'm kind of short. So I guess everyone's taller than me. Uh, but he, uh, he wrote a book, a Drupal 8 cookbook, and he's, um, spearheading some of the, uh, commerce 1.x sprints, which was his idea. Uh, once, you know, commerce 2.x started, um, focusing more of their time on, on development for uh, Drupal 8, uh, Commerce 1 kind of fell by the wayside. And to his credit, he you know, was like, look, we still have to support these uh, Commerce 1 sites and there are plenty of issues to, to be looking at. So him and a couple of the other developers started doing sprints for Commerce 1 and uh, I've been a part of those too. So he's one of those guys that he's just knowledgeable and in so many different areas and always willing to provide answers and give support. And, uh, and I, I learned several things from him while I was there. So shout out to Matt. Very cool. And, um, it says here that he is an author of a book as well. So yeah, out. yeah. It's a Drupal eight cookbook. Uh, it's, it's published by pact. Okay. Um, so I do want to say uh, thanks also to our friends over at devpanel.com and webenabled.com. They have always uh, supported us when we're doing a training event or when we want to uh, show someone how a module works really quick. We just go over to the web enabled and then spin up a site. But you can also get um, basically uh, tools to help you manage a web server at, over at devpanel.com. It, it works on pretty much every web hosting service and it helps you set up uh you know the different um the web server tools and you know caching and load balancing and all that kind of fun stuff so go check out uh cpanel for developers over at devpanel.com you can find us at drupaleasy.com slash podcast you can look for us on the itunes store the google play store your favorite podcast directory you can also call us at 321 three nine six two three four zero and leave us a voicemail and uh this has been the drupal easy podcast i have been your host ryan ah. Price. Ah, see ya you stumble into an eagles concert it's a nightmare ah. shelly duvall my voice been getting froggy i've been smoking too damn much you stole robin gibbs head Singing songs to the sun that's rising, rhyming words I cannot touch. Like purple and orange. Oh, I've been wandering in circles with just a guitar in my hand. Yeah. Playing one too many bar rooms and drinking more than I can stand. Marsha Brady on backup. California Lane. Won't you bring your love to me?
Get it yourself. Gravy. Add flavor to my meat. I am going to throw up if he sings one more bar. <laughs>